I'm excited you are here today. It is a beautiful day out there. I think uh, I love the weather, uh, the winter weather. I also think I am done with the winter weather. Amen. I'm ready for some summertime, maybe a little lake action. It's going to be a, it's going to be it's going to be a good year. I'm feeling I'm feeling good this morning. I'm feeling really good. I'm glad you're here today. Uh, I'm going to be preaching a standalone message that is going to be a little bit different. It should have been at the first of this year. Uh, I, I was doing a sermon. You might remember back in January where I talked about what are the qualifications and the characteristics of a healthy church. What should a healthy church look like? And there was going to be a follow-up to that sermon talking about what should healthy Christian leadership look like within a local church. However, Charity and I got COVID and we canceled church on a Sunday morning at the last hour. A lot of you guys got COVID during the same time, and so this message has been a little bit on the back burner, but it's definitely still been on my heart. And the reason why it's been on my heart is because in our, in our last Sunday of January, we had our Vision Sunday where we were showing you and sharing with you what we believe God has called us as a church to do over this next season. And we shared three really cool things if you weren't here. We talked about, first, that we intend to build a youth building on the north side of this campus this year. We talked, second, about how we truly believe that God has called us to plant a church in North Tulsa out of here. That's really cool if you didn't catch that. Uh, and third, and the thing that's going to be most relevant for today, is that we, are, we feel like God has called us to raise up local church leadership out of our church. And I wanted to kind of just dive into the why of that. I explained what we're going to do uh, at our vision night, but I want to share with you the theological understanding of why this is important for us. If you are coming to church and there are people who are investing in you spiritually, then it would behoove you to try to understand what are the biblical qualifications for these people who can speak into my life? What should I be looking forward in good church leadership? Is it someone who says God has spoke to me, is that the qualification or should it be a little bit beyond that? And I want to tell you this morning that the Bible makes it clear that there is a standard, there is a, there is a list of requirements, there is an approach in which church leaders are called to live before the local church. This is very applicable to us because, as I said, we feel called to raise church leadership, and we are called to develop that. So if we are called to do that, then how do we structure that? What are, what are the things that we should look for? What are the things that they need to learn how to do? What does this look like in a local church? And this is a very interesting question to me. This should be an interesting question to you. If you're going to come to church every single week, then you should want to know, is the guy on the platform know what he's talking about, right? And the answer is probably not, okay? So I might get through this sermon today, and you look at it, and you say, I just listened to you preach, and I don't think you're qualified to be up there on the platform. That, is a, that could be the conclusion that we come to by the end of this day. I don't know. Here's what you do need to know, is that God uses flawed people to lead his church. We see that very, very clearly out of Scripture, that God has commanded and designed church leadership within the church, and he uses flawed people to do it. Ain't that amazing that God would want to use you or me, even though we are flawed? Now, I want to take a few moments and show you the biblical standards. I want to show you a model. I want to show you the ideals of church leadership so that you can identify biblical leadership for your own personal benefit. I also have a desire that we understand the biblical standards and the, the ideals, the, the, the moral of church leadership, because we want to be a church that does things the right way. We want to be a benefit to you. We also want to be a benefit to the people in this community, and we want to be a benefit to the
the big C church, God's whole bride, as it were. This does not mean that God has called every single person to be a pastor or a missionary or a deacon or a servant leader. However, what I, we do believe is that God has called every single one of us to sainthood, which means you have a role to play in church leadership. I have a role to play in church leadership. And if we are not rowing the boat together, then we're never going to achieve what God has called this local church to do. Turn to your neighbor and say, you have a part to play. Amen. So let's just walk through this a little bit this morning. This is going to be a little bit more of a teaching than a preaching to you, as it were. But I want to show you some truths this morning that I hope will be a benefit to you and help give some direction for where we're going in the future. And the first thing I want to show you is this, is that there are universal truths of church leadership. Take, talking about church leadership tends to bring up a lot of emotion within people because chances are you have had one or two experiences with church leadership. You've either A, had a really good experience with church leadership, you had a past or a Sunday school teacher, you had someone in your life who discipled you, that you understood was in your corner, they championed you, and they helped bring forth what God had planted in your heart, and, and those people were heroes in your life. How many of you had a hero in church growing up? Yeah, look at those hands. I had heroes. I've talked to you about them. The other emotion that tends to come up, though, is that you've had someone who's caused a lot of emotional pain in your life. There's been someone who was not a person who championed you. There were not someone who, who was positive in your life, but actually started to pull you down. So there are, there are good when man's involved, and sometimes there is bad also when man's involved. And we see that within church leadership. Yet in spite of that, we need to understand that church leadership is designed by God. We're going to read a lot of scripture here in a moment that talks about it. And we understand that the scripture is God-breathed, meaning that when we read these passages from this book. We're not reading man's idea. We're reading what God has instituted and structured for his church. We're to read it, to understand it, and apply it. Church leadership is also dependent upon a true understanding of the gospel. No one can pastor or serve within a church or be a leader within a church until they have a proper understanding of who Jesus is in their own life. Because the moment that I forget what the cross looks like, and the moment I forget that Jesus came not to be served, but to serve, is the moment that I start using church leadership as a power play to advance my own agenda. That was a good amen spot right there. See, I think the spring break and the good weather has kind of made you, that was a good amen spot right there. Yeah. Somebody said amen in the back. You can have an extra donut next week, whoever that was. I couldn't, I couldn't differentiate from up here who that was, but I trust you to, to do things the right way and have two donuts next week. Church leaders are a part of the church. They're not separate from the church. This is very important to understand. When we're going to read the passages here in a moment, we need to understand that anybody who serves within a church, anybody who has a role to play within a church, is an under-shepherd and not a dictator within the church. Meaning that this is Jesus' church. You are Jesus' church. I'm a part of Jesus' church. So any sort of authority or responsibility or service will flow from a true understanding of who Jesus is, and we are only stewarding what he has already done. That's very important to understand because as a pastor, I need the church just as much as you need the church. In fact, I had a conversation with somebody this week and I've made the statement. I said, I think as a pastor, I need the people of this church more than they need me. You see, it'd be very easy to go find another pastor. It's very difficult to find a healthy church. If you've ever looked for a healthy church, it's very hard to do. 
And I'm thankful that we have a healthy church here, and I want us to stay that way. That would be my heart and my desire. But my spiritual health is also dependent upon you. And your spiritual health is dependent upon the people around you. We are to live in community together. We've talked about that a lot this year. God did not create any of us to live our faith in a vacuum. So we have to filter everything that we talk about today through those lenses. God has designed church leadership. We only understand church leadership through the gospel. And church leaders are a part of the church, not separated from the church. So once we have an understanding of those universal truths, then we can start jumping into the scripture. And I want to do something. I want to define three terms for you today, three biblical terms of church leadership that we see over and over and over and over again in the Bible. Now, I want to also ask you to do me a favor. As I say these terms, I want you to forget anything that you might have had experience with in the back, uh, in the past with these terms, because these terms, we're going to look just at the Scripture today, and then we'll talk about the application of those terms. I think that will make sense as we dive into this. The first term I want to d- define for you is the priesthood of the saints. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse number 4, says this. As you come to him, speaking of Jesus, so as we come to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Every believer is called to be a priest before God. We are called to serve God with our life. That is ultimately what a priest does. If you look at the Old Testament and you look at the priesthood, what did the priests primarily do? They served the Lord. If you were to put it in one sentence, they served God. And our responsibility, the moment we get saved, we are brought into the house of God to be what? A royal priesthood to God. Turn to your neighbor and say, you have a job to do. If you're part of the church, if you say, I am a Christian, I'm giving my life to Jesus, you are now a part of a royal priesthood, meaning you have a role to play, I have a role to play, none of us can live life without the other one. 1 Corinthians 12 tells us how we will play that out, because we're gifted through the Holy Spirit to the service of the body. 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12, says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Meaning, we're all together, we form the body of Christ. For, verse 13, there is one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slave or free, meaning it doesn't matter your socioeconomical status or your race, when you are a Christian, you are bought into one body of Christ, and all are made to drink of one spirit. For, the body does not consist of one member, but of many, meaning none of this can happen in church. We can't fulfill our spiritual calling if there's just one of us. Verse 27, skipping down to verse 27. Now you are a part of the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. What you'll notice out of this 
this, is that every single believer has a role to play. I think when it comes to church leadership, we have to understand that there is value in the contribution that every single person has, and that value is the same in God's eyes. The person serving in the nursery is just as important as the person preaching on the platform. The person greeting at the door is just as important as the person leading worship. The person in the community feeding the poor is just as important as the person in the cafe feeding us donuts. The person who's out there and is sharing their testimony is just as important as the person teaching a, a, a Wednesday night class to kids. The difference is not in value. The difference is simply in function. We all have a different role to play, but our value is the same when we're playing the role. The second term I want to define for you is the term deacon. This is one where we need to unhitch ourselves from perhaps past experiences. For 1 Timothy 3, starting verse number 8, says this, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderous, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of of one wife managing his children and their households well for those who serve as deacons gain good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Jesus Christ. Now for most of us especially if we grew up in an assembly of God church the chances are when we heard the term deacon what our mind instantly associated with was a group of people who sat in a boardroom and talked about church finances and that could be a function of a deacon but scripturally speaking, that is not the primary idea that the Bible had in mind when it gave us the office of deacon. For the word deacon literally means servant, servant, servant. When you look at the scriptural precedents, deacons were servant leaders within the church. People who were identified to have leadership abilities, who were put in authority over different service responsibilities within a church or a ministry. The very first deacons that we see in the book of Acts, chapter number six, were placed into the role of servant leadership because there was a problem with feeding widows. There was too many widows, there was too many needs, and somebody needed to give some oversight and some structure to this. So there was seven men chosen who served as servant leaders or deacons over that role to facilitate the feeding of the deacons. So a deacon can be a, a responsible person on a deacon board that talks about church finance and policy and procedure and so on, like what we have at our church. In fact, this morning we had a deacon meeting at, uh, in my office where we discussed the finances of the church. They were able to look at the, 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 the financial report. They were able to ask questions. We were talking talking about direction and those type of things. That is a function, but it is not the only function. A, a perfect example of this would be Jamie Hudspeth leading the sisterhood. That is a role of deacon. It is a servant leadership role within our church that is used to facilitate the needs of the, of the ladies in our church. The last definition I want to give you is the role of elder. First Timothy 3, same chapter, but we're going to start in verse 1 now. It says this, 
The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. So if someone does not know how to manage his own house, how will he care for God's church. He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. Bishop, overseer, elder, pastor. When you start looking in the Bible, depending on the translation you have, it's going to have one of those four words there. And you see those words interchanged throughout Scripture to reference the same biblical office. And that biblical office would basically be that of a pastor. We're reading about the qualification of a pastor. And depending on the denomination, you're going to hear one of those different terms. Overseer, elder, pastor, or bishop. Right? Pastors, elders, are shepherds of the local church, and they have the primary responsibility to, as the scripture said we just read, to take care of God's church, to rule and lead within that church, and to teach within that church. Those are the two primary functions of a pastor, and those are the two primary functions that separate a pastor from any other servant leader within a church. Now the word, depending on the translation that you have, is ruling within the church. And ruling is a very harsh word in the English language. It sounds like a dictator type of role, and that would not be accurate. What you see within Scripture when they say ruling, they were the ones to help kind of set direction and guide the church. Think of a, a under-shepherd, a, a, a person that works for the shepherd helping guide the sheep. You know, got to guide the sheep to water, got to guide the sheep to pasture. That is the responsibility of a pastor. Additionally, pastors were primarily the biblical teachers within the local church. A pastor has to love the word. He has to know the word and he has to teach the word. He cannot share his opinions and ideas. Pastors are not to do that because our opinions and our ideas are flawed. We are to give the word of God to the sheep because this is what will sustain them. Our ideas are no better than our ideas and they're really worthless when you think about it, but God's word is eternal and that's why we are called to, as Paul told Timothy, to preach the word. If you're a traveling communicator, not a pastor. There is a difference. And pastors, it's very important to see because pastors have to be a part of the local church. We see within Scripture that there are other offices uh, within a local church. Evangelists would be one of them, uh, an itinerant preacher, if you will. We see this uh, with the, uh, with the, in the person of Philip in Acts. You see that he went from different places. God had anointed him to see people get saved. But Philip wasn't a pastor. He was an evangelist. And that's an important distinction because we're going to read in 1 Peter chapter 5, starting verse number 1. I want you to catch this. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight 
not under compulsion, but willing as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock, flock so that when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. The reason why I'm making this distinction is that it's very important that we understand that pastors have to be a part of the local church. They can't be separate from that. You see here with what Peter is writing to the pastors, he's basically saying this, you have to live in and among the people. And this is very important for us to understand because what we have today is we have a culture that is, is allowing um, uh, a lot of voices through social media that are not accountable to a local church. So if I'm here and I start to preach heresy, you keep me in line. Somebody's going to come up and say, hang on a second in this church. Why? Because it's full of good people who know the word, and they're going to help all of us to stay on the straight and narrow together. And this is a good thing for us. So we see every single one of us is a part of the priesthood, and every single one of us is called to serve God through the local church. Every single, and then there are some people out of that group that are called to be servant leaders. And there are some people out of the priesthood who are called to teach in the church. And that is the three main offices that we see within a local church within scripture. Now I want to give you some quick hit bullet points, just some, some oddities that would be of benefit to help bring clarity to this. Here's some truths. One interesting thing about the qualifications that we see for both elder and deacon is that historians will tell you that when you look at that picture of that, that was considered to be a virtuous person in the Greco-Woman world, which is what the, the writers were, uh, the culture in which the writers were speaking to during this time. And what that tells us is that if we're going to be in the church and we're going to be leaders in the church, then we need to have a good standing in the community, meaning we handle our business in such a way, we handle our character in such a way, we handle our attitude in such a way that as we approach life, people look at us and say, there is an upstanding person. If we are wronging people in our business, we are disqualifying ourselves from the priesthood. If we're having a bad attitude with the person serving our food to us at the, at the restaurant, we are disqualifying ourselves from priesthood. That was a good spot to amen right there. Additionally, we see out of this that there is uh, the list for our leadership for deacon and elders. There are no additional requirements here that would not be for an average Christian. Meaning, for example, it says, don't, don't be given to drunkenness. None of us should be given to drunkenness. It says, don't lose self-control. None of us should be losing self-control. Don't be hot-tempered. None of us should have a hot temper. Why is that? Because that is the standard of Christian living. So what that shows us is that pastors and deacons are called to a high standard as an example. And we know from James that we'll be judged more harshly because we're in this role. And we have to be careful from that. There is a high standard for elders and deacons, as we see here, but the standard is not perfection, meaning none of these people were perfect. Peter, who wrote some of this, had to be called out by Paul because he got into error. And so what the Bible is boiling this down to is maturity and integrity when it comes to our spiritual walk. We want spiritually mature people in church leadership, and they need to walk in integrity once they are there. Verse 6 should be a very uh, important notice to us. 
Notice who is this church. It is God's church. And this is an echo of 1 Peter 5, and it's also here. We need to see that ultimately this isn't your church, this isn't my church, this is God's church. And that's why we don't follow our ideas of His leadership, but we follow His idea of leadership. To kind of summarize all of this, I read in one of my commentaries a very simple line, and I think it's great. It says this, pastors are servant leaders and deacons are leading servants. And I think that's just a great way to put it because Jesus himself on the night he was betrayed went and took his cloak off, wrapped himself with a towel, grabbed a basin and walked over and started washing the disciples feet. And when he returned to his place, he said, I have set an example for you. So if you want to be a leader in the church, if you want to be a deacon or you feel like God has called you to preach, and that is very possible, by the way, then you need to understand that the primary role in which you are going to function is as a servant. That is the job. Now, what is also interesting, which will be important for our conversation here in a moment, is that when you read through the book of Acts, and we don't have time to do it now, but if you have been reading with us in our Centered Initiative, we just finished the book of Acts a couple weeks ago, you will notice that there is a plurality of the word elder almost every time you see church. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, establish elders within the church. You see, when they had a a crisis, when they got together in Acts, they called together the elders in the church. And what you see here is that there was more than one voice. There was, in the local church, there was multiple leaders and preachers and teachers. And this was very important. Furthermore, the New Testament, the believers were constantly facing persecution and imprisonment and death. And if your pastor got, you know, he got killed with a sword on Saturday night, well, somebody had to preach Sunday morning. So next man up. The elders were constantly being raised up within the local church. Now, here's what I think is obvious at this point, is that there is a lot of depth to what God has created within His church. The other thing that we should notice here, and this is very important, is that in the New Testament, we don't have a Moses-esque figure, which was one person who goes up on the mountain, gets everything from God, comes down, and everybody else followed. We don't see that. In fact, as we read a couple weeks ago in Acts chapter 15, when there was a debate on how the church was to approach different rites within the church, the church got together, they prayed, they sought the Holy Spirit, and through the leadership of the community, they ironed those things out. This is very important to see that we are in this together. Now, does this mean that we need to have a vote every time we need a new coffee maker? We need a new coffee maker in the back. Should we have a business meeting to decide on the new coffee maker? I hope not, okay, because that is not something that can wait for a committee. I mean, when a coffee maker is broke down, you need a coffee maker today. What this is telling us is this, is that while we want to, we want to, um, uh, let me find the right word here. While we want to, quote unquote, submit to church leadership, that would be an accurate understanding. We don't want to be divisive and we don't want to create this unity. What we also have to understand is that none of us are so much more spiritual or especially anybody else that nobody else can contribute or help row the boat. That is the distinction that we're trying to make. Now, I've given you the three primary roles that every single one of us is going to fall into one of those. Priest, deacon. Pastor, I've read a lot of scripture. We've kind of made a lot of points to this time. Why? Why does this matter? Why does God have church leadership? What is God trying to accomplish from this? 
Well, there's really five things that God's trying to accomplish by instituting church leadership. And you could call this the job description of church leadership, and we can see this from all the verses that we just read. The first job is to preach and teach. Jesus told his disciples before he ascended to heaven, he said, go into all the world and make disciples, meaning the primary job of any church, the primary job as a priest or as a deacon or as a pastor is to make disciples. And if we are doing something as a church or as an individual within the church that is not making disciples, then we need to seriously push pause and ask ourselves, why are we doing this? If we are constantly coming together, but we never see someone baptized, then we need to go back to the drawing board and say, why are we doing what we're doing? If we're constantly getting together and we're having a lot of meals and dinner, which is fun, but there's never spiritual growth out of that, then we need to ask ourselves, why are we doing what we're doing? Our job is to preach and make disciples. The second thing that you see in the job description for leadership within the church is the equipping of saints. Ephesians chapter 4. Everybody has a role to play. Therefore, my responsibility as a pastor and our, our, our church leadership's responsibility is to equip the priesthood to do what God has called them to do. So our primary function, and you hear us say this in next steps, is not for us to try to talk you into doing what we need you to do, but our primary function is to look at your life and say, what has God equipped you to do, and how can we help you do what God has called you to do? You see this out of uh, Philip. This is a perfect example. I used him as an evangelist a moment ago. He started as a deacon. Then when persecution hit, he starts moving out. And so there must have been a process in which he was growing and God was refining what was in his life so that he could be of benefit. Same thing with Stephen. Stephen starts, he's a servant leader, he's a deacon here, and the next chapter over we read, he's preaching to people and ultimately he's martyred for the kingdom. So there was a progression in this church leadership where, where people were growing, they were being equipped for what God had called them to do. What has God called you to do? Third, modeling Christ. We are to wash feet. I talked about this a moment ago. We are servant leaders. Priests are servants. Deacons are servants. Pastors are servants. And we are to model Christ everywhere we go. We are to show the world who Jesus is. We are to model his life and our life. We don't get to live how we want anymore. We live how he has called us to live. There is a denial of self. Jesus made that very clear. He said, if you want to follow me, then take up your cross. What is a cross? It is a, it is a instrument of death. So if we want to follow Jesus, then we have to die to ourself. The fourth job description, this might sound surprising to you, and we're not going to dive into the details of this today, but it's church discipline. There is a responsibility for church leadership to, quote unquote, police their own. And when one of us gets into error, it needs to be corrected. Uh, that way we don't give the church or Christ a bad eye. There is a, there is a lot of heresy that can start to take root in a church. There's a lot of false teaching, and that needs to be corrected. Fifth and finally, we need to steward ministry needs. Needs. There are uh, practical needs within the church. I've referenced a moment ago the feeding of widows. It needs to be stewarded so that God can work in and through people. There is a responsibility to the practical needs of people, compassion needs, if you will. We are called to watch after the widows and the orphans. We're called to take care of the, those who are poor. We are called to help minister to the needs of those around us. And so there's practical stewarding needs that need to be met. So if you put all this together, church leadership is structured 
So that pastors and leaders and priests are doing the job of one of those five things. That is why God has structured the church. That is why we gather together so that we can do one of those five things. Now, you could see a good case study for this this morning if you were to read, as I've referenced two times now, in Acts 6 and Acts 15. If you, if you weren't able to read in our Centered Reading Initiative with us, I encourage you to go back and to do that. Uh, but look specifically at those, and you'll see all these things play out in a practical way that we have been talking about this morning. And what was the result of that? The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And here's the bottom line, is that when the church is healthy... The church leadership is healthy. There's going to be joy on the part of the people, and there's going to be salvation and life change in the community as a result. That should be the result. Like, how do we know if, quote unquote, we're succeeding in what God has called us to do? Is there joy in the house, and is there life change in the community? Are people's lives being changed? Are they coming to know Christ? Is He saving their marriage? He's setting them free from addiction. Are they learning freedom from guilt and shame of the past? Is their families getting changed? There needs to be fruit from what we're doing. I don't know about you, and you're going to hear me say this a lot, because I noticed myself writing this down in a lot of my sermons coming up. Life change never gets old. I said this a couple weeks ago. Life change never gets old. My preaching is going to get old. The worship can get old. Coming to church and serving can get old. Like our relationships can get old. You're like, I heard, I heard Jake tell me that story four times already. I don't need it a fifth time. You know what I mean? I mean, that stuff can happen, right? But you know what never gets old? Life change. Life change never gets old. I want to conclude with this. If the worship team wants to come back. We have defined the terms of church leadership. We've talked about how this practically lays out. We've seen the biblical mandate. We've seen the effects of this. Why have I talked to you about it today? Well, because there's a connection for our church. Based on these passages, there are some convictions that I believe for our church. If you came to the vision night, some of this is familiar with you, but I want to share with you again. My first conviction is this. JFA, J First Assembly, has to raise up leadership for this church from within. JFA needs to be the best training ground for believers that the world has ever seen. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. When you read about, when you read in the Bible, the local church, as I said a moment ago, they supplied the leadership within the body. It was hard work to disciple and bring believers to maturity and integrity. But they had a plethora of qualified deacons and elders within the church. We need to do the same thing and then some. This might surprise you. This is a really interesting thing to me. But if you're in the Assemblies of God today and you're a lead pastor, you are going to have a very, very, very hard time finding a youth pastor or a kids pastor. Really, any pastors, actually, for that matter. Now churches are having a hard time finding lead pastors. There's just not very many of them anymore. When I was a kid and I was thinking I want to be a youth pastor or whatever, I felt like God had laid that on my heart. Man, youth pastors were a dime a dozen. You need a youth pastor, you just put a little something out on Facebook or on a website, man, you get two or three hundred resumes. It was wild. My grandfather, I remember he was a deacon of a church when I was a kid, and they were, uh, he was on a pulpit committee looking for a pastor. And I was probably nine years old. We lived in South Carolina. This was in Kansas. We were visiting. So uh, he threw them on the table, and I just started reading them. I was never going to meet these people. I was, you know, 10, 11 years old anyways. It didn't matter. 
And there was a stack of them like this big. Now it's not quite that way. In fact, I was talking to somebody this week. He was doing a tour of the state uh, that we do what's called sectional councils where little regional areas of ministers get together. And I guess one guy was talking, one of the pastors just yelled out in the middle of this guy's uh, sermon, where are all the youth pastors at? You know, because he's been looking for one for a long time, can't find one. Interrupted the whole thing like an angry town hall, you know. And, uh, you know, this has been a problem for several years. And I feel like there's so good people here in this community, such good people in this church that perhaps God's calling you to go take this to another part of our state or another part of our country or another part of our world. We are going to train up pastors and deacons and priests in this church. This is not to say that we'd never bring somebody in from the outside, but my conviction is this, is that we need to have healthy people, multiple qualified people within our church to lead. In fact, so many of them that some of you who are those people say, you know what, I feel like God's called me to go pastor over here. Or God has pastored me to go over there. I believe that God will call young people from our church to preach. I believe God will call you to preach and lead and to serve. And we have to train these people. In our vision night, I showed you a website that we're working on that we're developing called Aptus. Aptus is a Latin word for prepared. And we believe that God's called us to prepare people for ministry. This website that we're working on is going to be a web-based training ground where somebody who is busy and doesn't have you know, another Monday, Tuesday night of the week to give up. These are going to be bite-sized videos on this website. They are in a certain order for whatever you feel like God has called you to do. You watch these videos in this order and through bite-sized chunks in conjunction with a mentor will help prepare you for what God's called you to do. And these videos we're trying to shoot, we're trying to shoot them to the absolute highest level of production that we can. We know that your lives are busy. You can't give up a Monday night, but you might be able to give up 10 minutes on a Monday night before you go to bed, sit there and watch that, chew on what we're sharing with you over the next couple days. Follow-up conversation with a pastoral leader. You can start getting prepared. We think that this process could take four or five years because we want to cover every single aspect of church leadership and ministry in the community from the parking lot to the platform in the community. It could be three or 400 videos. We, we don't know. We set a goal out to say, we're going to figure out this process in this year, and we're going to shoot 20 of them. And I'm pretty sure that five are done, and we're within probably a week of having two more completed. That's pretty cool. You might be sitting here saying, well, I want to see the videos. Well, if you serve, there's a 90% probability you're going to see one before the end of the year because we're shooting them in such a way that it's going to touch all of you guys before the year's out. So I have this conviction we've got to raise up church leadership within us. But I have the second conviction, too, and that is that there needs to be multiple people preaching and teaching and leading within this church. As I said, when you read in Scripture, you see that multiple people were leading within a church. And there needs to be multiple healthy voices speaking, multiple healthy voices leading and training. This is why you hear multiple people preach off this platform. This is why you will not see me introduce our staff when they preach on Sunday. Why? Because they're not guests in this church. There are valuable voices within this church that need to be leading in this church. Two or three weeks ago, when Miss Annie preached on Sunday, I didn't introduce her. Why? Because she is a leader within this church. She doesn't need introduction. 
This is why in a few weeks we're going to have someone else preach on this platform, and I'm not going to introduce them either. Why? Because they're a leader within this church, and that's healthy for us. This is why we want plurality of elders on our, with our um, next-gen ministries. I want my son having three or four or five godly men speaking into his life, godly women speaking into his life. We want this for our youth so there's stability because life happens and people move and things happen. But when there is, when there is a multiplicity of leadership within the church— there's stability within the church, and that is a good thing. So the question might be this. Well, I want to preach. How do I preach on a Sunday? Well, here's how this happens. Between our board and our staff, we set the parameters for the people who are going to minister within this church. We sit there, and we look at the qualifications, and we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, saying, who, who is ready for this? Third conviction I have is that most church most local church leadership structures are inadequate for the ministry needs of the, of the church. This is why we hired Zach and Erica Williams to come on to help us develop this. We want to create not just a process, but we want to create a structure where this can flourish and this can thrive. So that there is constantly this influx of new people. And as we're sending people out, there's just this constant flow. Imagine like electricity is just constantly moving at all times. We want this structure to be such that people don't get stuck in a process, but that there's movement in a process. And here's what I believe. I believe that if we do this well, we as a church will do what God's called us to do. It will be healthy, and there will be the joy, and there'll be the life change. And those things are not mutually exclusive. They are tied together. Amen.